you for all the presents you brought for my kids. Um, they're going to have a great Christmas, thanks to you. Now, these are, um, these are all for uh, the Christmas shop that we're doing for our food bank families, December 15th. And man, it is just so good to be a part of a church that's so generous and so giving. And it's reflected up here. It's reflected in our lobby. We had our staff and a bunch of volunteers that helped really put that whole space together. And um, it is going to be a fun advent, isn't it? Yes, it is. And one of the ways it can be great for you is we uh, had a number of writers from our church who got together and wrote devotionals that go along with the message series that we're going to be in. Um, these are at our welcome desk. They're $5. And I would encourage you to grab one. They start today and they will help journey you through this season that we hope um, is a significant one for you. And we hope that you end this season feeling like you've encountered Jesus. Because I don't know if you're anything like me, I get really excited about the Christmas season. I get excited, excited about Advent and we put a lot of energy into it and then we feel exhausted when it's done. Are you with me? We're like December 25th hits and we're like, I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I know that Jesus has been born, but I've drunk so much eggnog and eaten so at so many parties and I've seen so many people. I just need a moment to myself. Is anybody with me? Where we get done with Christmas and we're like, we can only do this once a year because it's exhausting. What if, what if we could make a, a few minor changes, a few minor changes in the way that we think and the way that we act and the way that we engage this season that rather than ending the year or ending this season feeling like we're running on empty, like what if, imagine in four weeks, you felt like you had more energy you felt like you had a bigger vision for what God was up to. You were more excited for what was coming in the future than you are right now. See, I think that's what God wants to do in our lives as a community of faith over the next few weeks. We're starting this series today that we're called, calling Filling Up Christmas. We all fill up Christmas. We just sometimes fill it up with the wrong things. And what I want to do is point us back to the scriptures over the next few weeks. I want to point us back to the way of Jesus and in hopes of really painting for us a different picture of what Christmas might look like. Every year when I was growing up, uh, I had elementary teachers that had us make a Christmas chain. Raise your hand if you've made one of these at some point in your life. Okay. Yeah, so you know that each one of the links in this chain represent one day from now until Christmas Eve, right? So there's 20, quick math, 23 of these, 22 of them on here, and each one of them represents one day. And as a kid, I can remember getting, making these in elementary school and thinking, it's coming. Like Christmas is, is on its way. And every time we tore off one of these little links, the anticipation just started to build, didn't it? Like, oh man, it's one more day, one day less before that present than I have been waiting for is at my door, right? It was our way as kids of counting time. I have some kids in my house this year, and they're counting time. They're waiting for Santa. One of them's waiting for Santa to bring him a bike. One of them's waiting for a joke book. Like, my eight-year-old wants to be the funniest eight-year-old girl you've ever met. So she's, she is on her Christmas list, juke book, J-O-O-K book. It's awesome. Uh, my five-year-old. It's just counting down, just counting down. And he is hoping for a motorcycle. Don't tell him, it's not gonna happen. 
And they're all, they are all banding together and they're praying that this year, this year, that we get another dog. <laughs> Unless Santa brings it, it's not happening, people. It is not happening. It's a way to count time and it was a way to build hope and to build anticipation. But here's what I found. As we've grown into adulthood, very rarely are we handed a chain, aren't we? Very rarely are we told, here's how long you're going to have to wait. Here's how long you're going to have to wait until that new job comes through. Just tear off one of these every single day. And at the end of it, well, then, then what's been hoped for and dreamed about and prayed about, then it will come. At the end of the chain, well, well then the relationship's going to actually happen. At the end of the chain, the restoration will take place. And very rarely in adulthood are we told how long we're going to have to wait, aren't we? And waiting gets slippery. And having hope and continuing to walk in hope is really, really difficult, isn't it? It's the very reason that the church calendar begins with Advent. Did you know that this is our January as a church? Christmas, the church calendar begins in Advent. It begins in darkness because we all wait in life. It's a universal condition. And Christmas is about joy, and Christmas is about celebration, and Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. But Advent that leads us up to Christmas, Advent is dark. Advent is about waiting. Advent is about hoping. That word Advent comes from this Latin word, Adventus. It means arrival or coming. And it's what Paul writes about to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, will you open there with me? Galatians chapter 4. And I want you to hear these words. He's writing a letter to this early church, this church that's been struggling, this church that has had a little bit of a difficult time grasping on to the unity of the gospel, that this really is all about Jesus and nothing more. And he comes to this point four chapters into his letter. And listen to what he says. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. For when the, say it with me, church, fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, which means that there was a lot of time that was unfull right? It means that every moment in time up until that birth of Jesus was lacking. It wasn't full. Um, from the very first promise of a Messiah given in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, and you shall bruise his heel. It was the promise of the coming of God to wipe out darkness, wipe out evil, wipe out the enemy. And these early followers of Yahweh, they held on to this promise. They were like, God's going to do something. God's going to make a way. You fast forward roughly 14 generations and you, you get to David, who's said to be the one who's, whose kingdom would have no end, that one from David's seed, one of David's kids is going to reign on God's throne. And, and they just, they held on to this promise. They, they didn't know how long it was going to be, but, but God was moving them forward and he was pulling them along. 
And then you have the prophet Isaiah who makes this sort of enigmatic statement. Yeah, um, the virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And they were like, wonderful, great. When? When? Can you imagine getting a chain that had 600 years worth of links on it? Dragging that puppy as a nation of Israel going, all right, kids, we're handing this one off to you. Oh yeah, but they had this this great hope for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace and of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Oh, great. When? When? You ever felt like you're just playing the waiting game? Like the time just wasn't quite full. It's interesting because my kids prepare for Christmas way different than Kelly and I do. Uh, They prepare by making the chain, and they're just waiting. They're waiting for whatever's going to appear magically under that tree. But Kelly and I are planning. We're preparing. How are we going to afford all this? Thank you. You guys helped a lot. Yeah, how are, how are we going to have five extra people living in our house for nine days during the Christmas season? Pray for us, please, right? How are we going to organize all these different parties and get-togethers and eat all this food? And, and we're making all the plans, and they're just sitting there like, let's do this, right? And did you know that during that season of waiting, while the nation of Israel waited, God was at work. God was at work behind the scenes, sometimes in ways that people could see and other times in ways that they had absolutely no clue. While they were waiting, he was preparing. And so when the Apostle Paul writes about the fullness of time, God had prepared the world for the coming of the Messiah. See, you had for one of the first times in all of history, you had where the world was really united under the Roman Empire. You had Caesar Augustus who ruled above it all. He was the son of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was the first emperor to be deified. So Caesar Augustus was called the son of God. And people would greet each other. And they would exchange business in the marketplace. And underneath it all was this declaration, Caesar is Lord. And you had the Roman Empire expanding rapidly. And you had them building roads that made it possible to actually travel, which wasn't possible before this time. Roads that were so complex and so well-built and well-made that some of them still exist today. Like, we're lucky to get 10 years out of ours here in Denver, right? Like, redoing roads is a sport for us. Not for them, right? They did it once and they did it right. Well, then you also had... Going on at that same point in time, you had one central language that was beginning to pop up and was spoken all over the globe, not just by little tribes, but as a trade language everywhere. It was the language of of Greek. So you had a unified empire. You had a road system that allowed for travel. And you had a language that prepared the world to hear the message. See, while we're waiting, God's preparing, and he was preparing. He prepared the world, and he's preparing 
you too. See, there was a promise that was made. When the fullness of time came, there was a promise that was made. The promise was a process. The promise was a process. We turn to the person next to you and say, the promise is a process. The promise is a process. Have you noticed that that's often the way that God works? That he could just give us the answer, but he walks us along. That God often seems like he's sitting on his hands and taking his time. Does it feel like this to anyone else except me? I mean, he gives Abraham a promise and he gives it to him when he's 75 years old and he doesn't fulfill the promise until he's 100. He didn't give him any chain either. I mean, he calls Moses to go to the Pharaoh, but he only does it after 40 years of Moses sitting in the desert, shepherding sheep, waiting. He anoints David as king, but David is on the run, living in caves, like fleeing from Saul for 13 years before he actually takes the throne. All of them living without a chain, like David's not going, well, one more year. Twelve more. None of them. I don't know. If I had a question for God, one of them might be, God, why do you make your promise in a way that causes us to embrace a process? Like, why not just make it when you're ready to deliver? Why not just tell us what you're going to do and then and do it. Right. And friends, this is what Advent is all about. It's about the process. It's about waiting. Because God does, look up at me for just a moment. God does some of his best work in your life while you're waiting on him. Rather than while, when you've received what you're waiting for. He does some of his best conforming work in our hearts and lives while we wait but as Americans, we aren't great at working or waiting, are we? We're great at working. We're great at producing. We're great at doing, but waiting? No, 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 no. We do not like to wait because we don't like to waste. I mean, we live in an Amazon Prime culture, don't we? There's not a huge market. I'm just telling you, there's not a huge market if we were to be like Abraham for God to say, I will deliver in 2043, 25 years. Like, no one's signing up for that. We usually want it and we want it quick, but God's work is slow. Let that sit on you for a moment. Think about something that you're waiting on. Maybe you're waiting on a, a doubt to be resolved. Maybe you're waiting on a healing to be given. Maybe you're waiting on a child to come around or a son or daughter to come home, a relationship to be restored. Waiting's hard work, isn't it? The process is difficult. And, and listen to the way that Paul talks about God meeting us in the process. He, he sort of outlines for us what it looks like for God to step in. Here's what he says. He says, uh, when the fullness of time had come, God. Like, it wasn't that the world did such a great job and the world made itself ready and, and, and they were finally good enough and they finally had their act together enough for Messiah to come. No, 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 no. Christmas is God's initiative. 
It's God coming for humanity. It's God on the move, God on the prowl, God in the pursuit, and it's God sending. In the Greek, it's this word, ek apostello. Will you say that with me? Ek apostello. It means to send out from, as painting the picture that God is on mission. Christmas is about God accomplishing something. It's about God working and God moving. And finally, he says, he sent whom? His son. I think Advent is so important for us because we learn to wait, but we also learn the way that God often answers our waiting. He typically doesn't send an idea. He often doesn't send a messenger. He usually gives us the thing that we want more than anything else. We just sometimes can't put our finger on the fact that we want it. He sends himself. See, the the promise is a process and the provision is a person. The promise is a process and the provision is a person. It's it's, it's a personal, it's personal in two ways. One, it's, it's God giving himself personally. This is different than any other religion and any other system and any other philosophy that God enters into the problem with his own flesh and blood and resolves the issue of sin and darkness by taking it all on himself. We call it the incarnation, the incarnation. Incarnate, in flesh, in meat. I lived in San Diego for five years, and I grew to absolutely love carne asada burritos. In carne asada, por favor. I loved it. I loved it. It's in the flesh. And Christmas isn't just about a gift that's been given. It's about a life that's been shared. It's about Trinitarian life given to desperate humanity. I love the way that Friedrich Buchner put it. And um, my wife says to me last night, that looks like Anthony Hopkins. So if you want to picture it in his voice, go ahead. But here's what he says. Here's what Buchner says, and he's brilliant, and he's witty, and he's funny. He says, the incarnation is some kind of vast joke, whereby the creator of the ends of the earth comes among us in diapers until we too have taken the idea of the God-man seriously enough to be scandalized by it. We have not taken it seriously as seriously as it demands to be taken. Friends, as we enter back into this story, into this waiting story, and looking back at God's fulfillment to the nation of Israel waiting, we should go, God, this is crazy. Like, this is shocking. This is confusing. That you would give yourself, not just a message, but you'd become the messenger. Not just that you'd solve the problem, but that you'd take the problem on your own shoulders. God, this is personal. This is personal. And here's what that means. And will you lean in for just a moment today? Because I don't know what type of waiting you bring in these doors, what type of hopes you have that you feel like are really slippery and really loose, and you're not sure what to do with them today. Will you just lean in for a moment? Because the thing that Christmas declares to us, maybe above everything else, is that God cares, that God sees, 
And he sees enough and he cares enough to say, you have, exactly as you are, broken and beautiful in hope and in waiting and in celebration and in hills and valleys, you have infinite worth in the eyes of an almighty creator God. The incarnation, the incarnation is ultimately about God's redemption because of love. That's what he's after. That's what we celebrate during the Christmas Advent season. I love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. He said this, he, God, has become like a man so that men should be like him. And in the incarnation, the whole human race recovers the dignity of the image of God. Henceforth, any attack on the least of men is an attack on Christ who took the form of a man and in his own person restored the image of God in all that bears a human form. Oh, come on. That's good. You've never seen somebody that Jesus didn't come for. That's what Bonhoeffer's saying. Yeah, this is a provision that doesn't just solve the problem. It meets the person and it invites us in to relationship with God. Hear me this morning. Lean in. Christmas is about God on a rescue mission. He was redeeming those who were oppressed, pushed down. But there's an elephant in the room, isn't there? I mean, there at least was an elephant in my office while I wrote this. Because what, what are we supposed to do? If we were to read our scriptures just with our eyes closed and our news apps off, we would expect God sent his son to redeem. We would expect that the world would look a little bit differently than it does. Would we not? I mean, if God has come to redeem, was he successful? 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 said that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy the works of darkness, to destroy the works of the enemy. Did he accomplish what he set out to do? Because our redeemed, beautiful world feels broken, doesn't it? And what do we do with that? Yeah, sure, the world was pregnant. The world was about to give birth. The world was prepared and ready when Jesus came, born in a manger. Here's my question. Is our world pregnant again? Is our world pregnant again? Sometimes it feels like it, doesn't it? I mean, there are times when, when God seems silent and when God seems distant. I've had three friends this week tell me, I'm crying out to God and I don't hear his voice. My prayers feel like they're hitting the ceiling. It's our world pregnant. In the last 11 months, I've said goodbye to good friends and family members, and my guess is you have too. It's our world pregnant. In, in the nation of Yemen, country of Yemen, 1.8 million people are on the brink of starvation right now. 85,000 kids have already died of starvation this year. Is our world pregnant? Are we waiting? Are we anticipating? I went to California a few weeks ago. The day before I came, there was a mass shooting in a bar, and the day I got there, that same little town, city, caught on fire, massive fire, 
Is our world pregnant? Um, Last week, they released the new updated climate report. Whatever you want to do with that, however you want to look at it, here's what we can surmise. The, the, The trajectory isn't good. Is creation pregnant? Is the earth pregnant? Well, the book of Romans would actually say, yeah. For the creation, Romans chapter 8, verse 19, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Wait, so, so wait, here's just, just a second. Maybe, maybe creation didn't get the memo that Messiah has come. Maybe Yemen didn't get the memo that Jesus has been born. Maybe we just need to go tell him Jesus has been born. Maybe, maybe that will solve all of the problems. I mean, have you ever wondered, have you ever come here to celebrate Christmas and you've come just wondering, what do we do with the reality that we believe wholeheartedly that 2,000 years ago, Jesus, Messiah, King of the universe, Lord of all creation, was born in a manger in Bethlehem, and yet, and yet, the world longs for its redemption. So, what do we do? Do we just make more Christmas cookies? Sing a little bit louder? Bury our heads in the sand and have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. From now on, I started it too high. Troubles will be miles away. <laughs> Are our troubles miles away? So what do we do? What do we do? We've got to be able, we've got to be able to look in the face of the very real everyday atrocities and injustices in life. We've got to look at the, the dashed dreams and the distant hopes, and we've got to be able to look at them, look them in the eye with the declaration, Jesus is Jesus is Lord. And here's, the, here, here's the, the beautiful power of Advent. Advent doesn't erase the realities of life. That's not what Christmas is all about. That's not what Advent is all about. It points us to a God who has made promises that transcend and go beyond what we can see right now. If you go and read through the New Testament, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that the authors of the scriptures, they spent some time pointing back to Jesus' birth, but they spent a lot of time pointing forward to his second coming. A lot of time. And ironically, Advent as a season is about standing in this like middle ground. As a high school pastor, um, our church bought a school bus and so I needed to get my commercial driver's license. And I went to this guy, Brave Soul, who was going to train me on how to drive a school bus. And he said, Ryan, there's a rhythm to this. There's a rhythm to this. He said, you've got to look forward, keep your eyes on the road. I'm like, I am dialed in, right? Like, I was expecting that. I'm driving a large vehicle. 
He said, you've got to keep your eyes on the road. He said, but you can't lose sight of what's behind you. So you've got to look at the road ahead and you've got to constantly be sort of pointing your eyes up to your rear view mirror and your side view mirror and your other side view mirror and your rear view mirror and look forward and look back and look forward and look back. And that's what Advent is. It's a looking back. Christ has been born. The Savior has come. And we live in this messy middle waiting ground where we look forward. Oh, he will come again. He will come again. And one day he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And one day he will make all things new. And one day that trumpet will sound and he will come home and he will call your name. I don't know. Thank you. I don't know how many links are left in that chain. I just know that we're playing the waiting game. As we pray that his kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we enter into that redemptive story. We play our part, whether it's in food or gifts or gospel, how, whatever it looks like, we play our part and we pray. See, Christmas is not a time for trite, sentimental cliches. It's not. It's, it's not a time for optimism, because optimism is, arises out of denial of facts. No, 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 no. Christmas is about hope. Hope that persists in spite of the brokenness Hope that persists in spite of the questions. Hope that persists in spite of the doubt and in spite of the pain. See, waiting is a universal human condition. We, we all wait. The question isn't whether or not we're going to wait in life. The question is whether or not we'll wait well. And so here's the counterintuitive invitation of Advent. It's back, it's forward. It's back, it's forward. We enter into the waiting that the Israelite nation longed for their Messiah in as we embrace our waiting. Our waiting. Flip over with me to 2 Peter, and we're going to land the plane here. And it's just to tell you, it's a long descent today, longer than normal. So it's just, we're just on the descent. We're not landing just yet, in case you were excited. Here, let me just give you a framework. The early church is waiting for the promised second coming. Um, if you, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 4, it says this. And they will say, um, Peter's talking, he's writing to a church in the midst of a waiting season. And he's saying, listen, there's going to be people that come and teach. There's going to be people that start to murmur. Under, sort of underneath their breath, they're going to say, where is the promise of his coming? <laughs> like, where is this Jesus you say is coming back? Sure, he was born in a manger. I guess we could find out some data on that, but it's crazy that you think he's coming again. Said, Peter says, there's going to be people who wonder. You might even be one of those people. You might go, well, silliness. Come on. Come on. Let's just have ourselves a merry little Christmas. <laughs> Wish our troubles away. Here's how Peter continues. Here's how Peter continues. He says this, verse eight. How do we wait well? How do we live on this advent frontier is what I'm calling it. But do not, verse eight, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Does anyone want to say amen? Like, yeah, there's the deal. 
like God just doesn't have the right clock. That's the problem. If he had the right clock, maybe he would do things in our time. He's just got a clock that's a lot slower than yours. Yeah. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow. Say those two words with me, not slow. Not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. See, he's talking about the second coming, looking back, looking forward like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. What's Peter's point? I think what he would say to us in this Advent season, 2018, where we remember the promise is often a process that we've got to trust God's timeline. We've got to trust God's timeline. And I want to clarify because one of the things you might hear me saying in trusting God's timeline is we've got to know God's timeline. Look up at me for just a second. Trusting God's timeline and knowing God's timeline are not the same thing. They're not the same thing. God's timeline is often a lot slower than ours. St. Augustine said it this way, if you understand, it is not God you understand. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. And I don't know. In all honesty, guys, man, there have been some seasons in my life where I've just struggled. God, you just seem like you're taking your sweet time. Do you care about me? Do you see me? Do you hear my voice? What in the world is going on? What in the world is going on? And if you're in a waiting season this Advent, welcome to the portion of the church calendar that pats you on the back and says, yeah, it's a condition we all feel at some point. Let's wait well. And it's one of those seasons, isn't it, when we're waiting on God to deliver on what we feel like he's promised, that it can get easy to say, I'm just going to check out, I'm going to hit cruise control, and we can play this game with God, or at least I can play this game with God. God, if you're not going to come through for me, then I'm not going to do anything for you. Anybody else go four-year-old on God sometimes? (laughs) I do. And so Peter wants to speak into that. He sees that coming. He's like, I see your four-year-old temper tantrum, and I raise you, since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, right? What sort of people ought you to be? That's a great question in the waiting, in God's quote-unquote non-slowness. What type of people should you be? He says, live lives of holiness, Like difference, the way of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. And godliness shaped more and more into his image. So so in the advent frontier where you're waiting, yeah, yeah, we, we not only trust God's timeline or we try our best, but we focus on our formation. We say to God, God, I'm not getting what I want here, but that's not reason for me to check out, and that's not reason for me to cash in my chips, and that's not reason for me to give up on you, although maybe I've thought about it at some point. It's reason for me to look a little bit deeper, become a little bit more aware of some of the internal rhythms of my life and my soul, and for us to do some business together, because God shines a light on some things in the waiting that we can't see on the mountaintop. Can I get an amen? And... I don't think the waiting actually creates anything in us. It just reveals something about us. And we see it. Something that's lied dormant when life was good. 
we can see in the waiting, and we have to take it to God, and we have to figure out, God, what do you want to do with this? See, whatever we do the right thing in spite of the cost, we stand on the advent frontier. When, when the businessman refuses to say, I'm going to be corrupt in order to get ahead, that's, that's an advent decision. The person who decides, I'm not leaving the marriage, even though I have this like, dream that I'll be happier somewhere else. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick in covenant. I'm going, to, I'm going to continue to love and sacrifice, even though that's an advent decision. The parents who continue to show love in the face of rejection, that's an advent decision. I love the way that Fleming Rutledge put it. She's, um, I told Kelly this last night, she's my theological crush right now. She's amazing. She said this, if you know that the reconciliation of all things is the grand design of the creator of the universe, then your own individual and communal acts of faithfulness to one another become signs of the world to come. Yeah, we hope and we wait And while we wait, we don't know how long, we live in a way that reflects the coming of that kingdom that we long for. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we live in the way of that kingdom that we so desperately long for. And so Peter has good news if you long for that kingdom. Verse 12. He says, in waiting and hastening, and waiting is patience, and hastening is persistence. Can you see that there's a tension here? We wait and we hasten, which isn't a word we use a whole lot. We wait and we long for desperately. We sort of sink anchor in the moment and live in the present, and we look to the future and go, what God will do, he has not fully done yet. We've seen glimpses of it, we've seen shadows of it, but new creation is on the horizon. And so waiting and hastening, patience and persistence, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies melt away as they burn. Hold that thought for a moment. But according to this, his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which, the right, in which righteousness dwells. Oh, gosh, yeah. Some people have taken this passage to mean man, followers of Jesus, doesn't, it doesn't matter what they do, what we do, what humanity does with the world, the earth. Who cares about the climate report? It's going to burn. <laughs> what do we do with that? It's really interesting. If you go back to verse 6, Peter said, this is sort of a corollary. What's going on here, what God will do at his return is similar to what he did when he wiped out the world with a flood and destroyed the world. The world perished at the flood. Which world is that that perished at the flood? The one your house is built on. That one. And he's not talking about the world that will just be gone. He's talking about an earth that will be renewed. It's the same thing that happened at the flood, this time just in fire. It's a refining, it's a renewal, it's a redemption. It's what we long for. When every tear will be wiped away, 
when every sad will be reversed, when death will have no more power, no more sting, where the enemy will fully be defeated and destroyed. Yeah, we anticipate the day Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. The great creed of the church, the early church, says that he was born of a Virgin Mary. Yeah, yeah, they're looking back. They're looking back. He was born in a major, born of a Virgin Mary, and, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. The first coming was a foretaste. The second coming will be the culmination of it all. So, we wait. We wait. We look back in adoration and we look forward in anticipation. One of the things our staff is doing, and I want to invite you to do this with us. During this season of Advent, um, we're going to be practicing something called fixed hour prayer. It's a discipline the church has embraced numerous times throughout its history, and different different sort of sects have embraced this. And it's simply this. You set an alarm a few different times during the day to remind you to pray. I don't know about you, but um, I set those alarms sometimes and go, oh yeah, God, I haven't, I haven't thought about you. I haven't invited you into this. So we're going to set our alarm or our little bell in our office. You can do this on your cell phone pretty easily at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 every day throughout this Advent season, and we're simply going to use Fix Our Prayer as a way to push us back into this, God, we want to trust your timeline. God, we want to focus on our formation. God, we want to look back in adoration and look forward in anticipation. And it's really simple. You could use these Advent devotionals for one of those. You can easily read that section in about five minutes. Um, You could use the Psalms as one of those, as a way to engage God. But we just want our minds to be pulled back to him, pushed back to him during this season. Um, We just raise your hand. Who would be willing to embrace that with us? Would you be willing to do that? Awesome, awesome. Your hand's raised. God's seen it. He knows now, okay? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. kidding. At the fullness of time, God sent his son. At the fullness of time, God sent his son. And when the time is full again, he will come back. It's what the book of Hebrews promises us. It says, and he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin. He's already done that, but to save those, to heal those, to restore those who eagerly long for his waiting. If you open your news app, if you have conversations with a friend and the world feels broken, yes, welcome to Advent. May we be people who wait and to hope and who hope well. Every time we come to this table, the communion table, we do that dance of we look forward, we look back, we look forward, we look back. We look back and see that Jesus has come, that he's given his life, his death, burial, resurrection, and we look forward to the time when he will come again. The table's open to all who are followers of Jesus, and we're going to celebrate this morning as a chance to look back and look forward In just a moment, I'm going to invite you, you can go leave your aisles to your left, and you can come down to the servers that are in front of your section. There's two in front of this first section here, in front of your section. And then I'd invite you, after you get your elements, to go back to your seat um, and enter back in through the opposite way. You're going to get bread, and you're going to get a little cup of juice. You can eat the bread whenever you so feel led as a symbol that you're in a relationship with Jesus that's personal. 
But would you hold the cup? We will celebrate the cup together as a community to remind ourselves that God has us on a journey together and and we're grateful for that. All of the bread is now gluten-free and the table, like I said, is open to all. Let's pray as we prepare to come. Jesus,